friends and various occultists. Today on A Culture Wars, we are continuing the conversation on drillery, both historic and living. Today with one of the greats, Murtagan Doyle. And while I do have him introduce himself on the episode, I wanted to try at least and give an honorable introduction myself because by the time I had met Murtaugh in person some time ago, his reputation had already preceded him as one of the best possible sources one could ask for, and just one of the best people to talk to about um, just the subject of Druidry, Celtic paganism, and Celtic magic in general. And more than that, he's been always very kind and supportive to me on my own path. So I'm thrilled to speak with him today, and I'm thrilled to try and uh, get this introduction going. So, Tog has taught countless times over the years at conferences and pagan gatherings on this subject matter, and uh, I thought I would just lift a little bit of uh, the bio I saw <laughs> on him on the Green Man website. Murtagh Doyle is a Druid, an elder of the Tuatha Dé Danann, an Irish mystery tradition. He is founder of the TDD Tuatha Dé Danann, the Ninth Wave, and uh, Nemed Na Marigna. Grove of the Morgan. Tog has been involved in the pagan occult movement since 1968. He's an independent scholar and researcher with a degree in anthropology. He's worked as an archaeologist for Brown University. He's been published in several pagan magazines and newsletters and was interviewed in Keepers of the Flame, interviews with elders of traditional witchcraft in America. Through talks given in the early 80s at pagan festivals around the country, which we talk a little bit about on this episode, uh, he inadvertently became one of the progenitors of the Celtic Reconstructionist movement. He's been working with an Irish form of magic and witchcraft and the spirits and gods of Ireland since 1977. My only addition here is that he's also the director of the Pagan History Project, which is an oral history project created to collect, store, share, and preserve the history of the American pagan movement, which obviously I find to be crucially important and something that I am definitely trying to uh, do in my own way. So anyways, without further ado, Murtaugh is awesome. I was delighted to speak to him on the podcast and hope to have him back on again soon. So without further ado, let's get cracking. I am imagining things today. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to ask you to just introduce yourself because you can probably do it better than I can. Okay, well, um, uh, I go by Murtaugh and Amon Doyle. Um, uh, I'm a Druid that works in a primarily Irish Celtic system, um, although I have some sidelines magically. Um, I've been around the community since about 1968. Um, and at that point, it wasn't a pagan community, it was an occult community. And, um, and I'm, I've been part of uh, a, a craft group, um, a, a craft tradition um, that evolved into a early Celtic recon um, group and a mystery school. Um, uh, we have our own, um, myself and my wife have our own uh, 
branch of it here, which is the West Coast branch, which is totally different than the East Coast branch because, um, and, uh, and for a while during the 80s and 90s, I was uh, kind of a priest for hire. Mm -hmm. so I got to work with the Golden Dawn and the OTO and I got called in as a gardener for a gardenerian ceremony to be the priest. Uh, so I've I've seen a lot of stuff. <laughs> You've made the rounds. I've made the rounds. Yeah. Well, you know, can I uh, can I specifically ask you about um, just Celtic reconstruction and like your role uh, in relationship to just modern Celtic recon? Well, that that's an interesting thing. Theoretically, uh, there's one person. Um, Aaron Laurie, who sometimes says I'm like the grandfather of it. Mm. Um, uh, I'm theoretically what people now call in Celtic Recon, proto-Celtic Recon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, get, they got real. Um, what happened is um, back in the mid-70s, the craft tradition we were in, um, which of course at that it's kind of interesting. I, um, I, I did see your interview with Ian and oh, cool. um, the tradition didn't call itself Wicca until the late 70s because witchcraft traditions um, felt that that were of some kind, we were, we were what were called traditional witchcraft. So you had your Alexandrian Gardnerians, you had your trad witches right. um, and Basically, um, they would they changed um, a lot of the terminology because Wicca wasn't as charged. When you tell somebody, "Oh, I'm a witch," or "or I'm you know I'm into witchcraft," so it, a lot of it changed during that late '70s, early '80s period. Yeah, and then we started getting picky about terminology, and and yeah. also because Wicca became a sort of a, a catch-all term yeah so everybody was doing wicca so so a lot of people went back to which using witchcraft which we had in the late in the last 20 years we've had the resurgence of british traditional witchcraft right and i mean yeah. correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like a lot of that is sort of because like we went from being more or less worried about being blamed for like random murders and like satanic panic stuff because I feel like a lot of Wiccans went out of their way to say, hey, we don't do devil worship. We're not doing yeah. all that. Hoping, well, you know. back, in, back in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s, um, you really had to explain to people that because right. that's the first thing. If you were any kind of a cultist, yeah. forget it. You know, forget if you were a witch or not. <laughs> right. If you were any kind of a cultist, they would basically say, oh, do you sacrifice babies? And Right. And now we're like, I can't speak for everyone, but a yeah. lot of people are less worried about that. So I yeah, like so we you know people would downplay if they had um, you know ritual sex. Um, they would downplay if they used drugs. You know, basically, you know, there were groups. And not everybody. A lot of people okay. were pretty straight, sure. but there were groups that used sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So. As one does. <laughs> and um, and basically, it was um, because of the time. People, I I knew people that lost their jobs, that had their children taken away from them. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it was it was a it was a strange time. 
Um, so a lot of people were underground. I mean, we were primarily an underground tradition. Mm. It took me nine years almost. Nine years? Yeah, about nine years. Well, actually less than that. So probably about seven before I found anyone. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I, I mean, and I was operating in um, Southern New England in, uh, the, in, in Rhode Island, I, because I'm originally from Providence, Rhode Island. Mm. And um, I basically um, uh, used to do um, radio shows. I would do classes. Um, and usually under the auspices of being an, uh, an anthropologist. Gotcha. You know, I'd go to the Unitarian Church and, and you know, <laughs> get roped in to do uh, what I thought was solely going to be the, uh, you know, a talk and landed up, oh, well, you have to do the service. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fun. So, okay. so I, you know, I, it wasn't that I was totally closeted. So everybody knew me. Yeah. Under, under one of my names, because I used different names in different circles. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting, it's been an interesting path. So anyhow, going back to Celtic Recon. Yeah. So what happens is this craft group I'm involved in um, wants, has looked in the book of shadows that they were given. Yeah. And it's got Irish, Welsh, uh, some Aradian material, some Luciferian material. I mean, it's, it's a mishmash. Yeah. And they said, well, let's let's look at it and, and re really direct it because the magic in it was really kind of scattered because, mm. um, and I do a paper, I do, I've done a talk on this for um, uh, pagan, in pagan studies. Um, a lot of American witches from the 60s were probably doing their own thing. And it was probably a mixture of folk magic and such. And then when the Gardnerians got here, yeah, they started trying to codify it because if we don't do this, we won't look like witches. So they put on a magic system that most of them didn't understand. Uh, you know, they just didn't understand it. Yeah. So when we got it, um, the first iteration in the early 70s, I should have actually been in the group the, the first group back in 72 mm -hmm. or three, um, except that uh, my friend Owen got, got initiated and basically uh, as, as people that are neophytes do, mm -hmm. um, we'll basically walk around and say, you know, I've got the power. And I bumped <laughs> yeah. into him on the street with another friend and he told us he had the power and he could kill somebody, that guy across the street with his mind if he oh, wanted. Oh boy. And, and if that didn't work, he opens up, he used to wear sports coats, opens it up and pulls his anthem out. Well, I'm at this <laughs> point seeing it as a dagger that he's gonna go over and I go, he's part of a cult because there were a lot of cults around. I mean, it was the time period, you know, we had the Krishnas, we had the Church of the Process, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, there were Satanist groups um, up and up on the east side of Providence. There was a Cthulhu cult. Oh, Lord. OK. Yeah. I mean, this it was it was an interesting place. <laughs> um, and uh, so so I didn't get involved at that point. Um, and to be honest, I was actually doing a lot more of my own work because um, I originally got into 
ceremonial magic mm. when I was about 16, 17. And I did that primarily because I needed to figure out how to close off the visions and the voices. Yeah, for like because I had already been taken to, you know, my parents had taken me to this psychiatrist and that psychiatrist, and they were like, oh, it seems to be fine, but and uh, so I used ceremonial magic as, as a process. And then when I got into, um, uh, when I was studying anthropology, my uh, academic advisor decided that, that I was an American shaman. Wow. That if shamanism occurs in all cultures, yeah. that this is what I was doing because the images I was seeing were, were American, not Greek, not Celtic, not, you know, they were based on our culture, so. Huh. Um, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> As I do. Um, so anyhow, what happened is they decided on going Irish. And part of the, part of the reason we decided on going Irish was that the, um, the Providence Public Library had a special collection called the Williams Collection, which had every Celtic book that was ever written. Wow. Novels, poems, um, in, I mean, in different languages. And um, it was in like this big vault, they, like the room was climate controlled in a big vault and you could only go certain times of the day and you could only use a pencil, yeah. you know. And uh, so we, because we were broken up into, into uh, originally covens and then they became groves. We called them groves. Mm -hmm. um, and um, we, uh, our, our, the grove I was in, um, was we were kind of the academics of the group. So we were the ones that landed up going to the, um, to the Williams collection. You know, myself um, with an anthro background, my partner, my magical partner for many years, um, Gweth uh, had an art history background, you know, oh. so we, we went in there and we, we cobbled together what we could of what was known at the time. So in a sense, we became, we, we, and we, couldn't figure out if we were Celtic revivalists or reconstructionists. So, I mean, it got, it got bantered around, but we never really codified it. Yeah. And it was still this mishmash of, um, of Celticism and, uh, and, uh, and witchcraft. Um, and basically by the early eighties, I had been doing a lot of research with my magical partner, the two of us, we had done a lot of work with uh, Celtic deities, with Irish deities. And what happened was we, um, what the group rejected, because they were like, oh, we don't want to do that. You know, huh. um, I remember one of the priestesses telling us, oh, you know, that they, I don't want to do that. We don't want any Mordigan stuff. She's too scary. <laughs> and, uh, so we kept all of that stuff close to us, uh, figuring once we got out, we would yeah. do our own thing with it. Um, and what was interesting because of that early part, like I was talking about of, of you know, the, the, the traditions, how they grafted magic on, the couple that first got the tradition from our craft grandmother, from the woman we got it from, um, she, they, he was a ceremonial magician. So he put in a whole track of, of 
Crowley and the uh, the OTO and the Golden Dawn type magic. Huh. So in order to get through your degree work, you had to learn, you know, all you know how to do magic, you know, yeah. which is which is always good training because it gives you um, an idea of how closed systems work. Systems yeah. that you know, like an elemental system has four elements or five, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. You know, planetary has seven, you know, Tarot is 78, you know, it gives you something to work with and you start understanding how systems work in magic. Just to once, real quick, yeah. just to ask you real quick, um, this is, and I, I, I said this to you over text that a lot of people in this like hyper online discussion, uh, I'll, I'll just leave it, calling it at that. Um, they don't have like a clear understanding of what closed system means. Can you just define real quick what closed system is for other people? Well, it, it basically is a system that it has parameters. Got it. You know, that this is the way a circle is cast. Mm -hmm. And it, the reason that you're doing it this way is it has a tradition. It goes yeah. back at least to the Middle Ages or the Renaissance. Yeah. You know, that there is, so there is a current, there, it gets into what we call magical currents. Mm -hmm. So you can then tie into the magical current. Yeah. And that helps you along, like, like, um, like our training, when we would, we would literally throw people into the circle and not tell them what was going on. <laughs> and Those after a couple days. of months, you know, they could read it in, in the book, what was yeah. there, because, um, even our, even as a craft tradition, the Book of Shadows is ultimately worthless mm -hmm. because it's only keys and the rest of it's oral and experiential. Yeah. You have yeah. to work with it and talk to people that have done it before. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so so it's it's a valuable thing, which is why later on we started saying we were a mystery school. We weren't in a craft tradition anymore. We we didn't we re, we were either reconstruction or re revivalists of you know Celtic something that nobody knows what really happened. You know yeah. this is all our best guess based <laughs> on what we're what we're working with and what we're reading. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, uh, in the early '80s, at some of the um, East Coast and uh, Midwest. Um, uh, uh, festivals like Rites of Spring back in New England and in um, uh, Pagan Spirit Gathering and Pan Pagan um, out in the Midwest, um, I started giving talks on on uh, how basically how if you're going to do uh, anything Celtic, yeah, you know, don't go and pick up some crap book. Go to the primary sources. Yeah. And the fir first um, lecture I gave on it, um, I talked for 20 minutes and my partner, she said, turns to me and said, Tog, they have no idea what you've been talking about. Oh no. <laughs> and this was like the creme de la creme of pagandom at that time. Oh. You know, uh, people that had been around for, and, and she asked, did people know? And so of course the only people that put their hands up that were following were like, Ian and his wife Moira, yep. you know, yep. because we're in the ultimately in the same <laughs> tradition, yep. and uh, and one other person who who was a Celtic scholar who, at the end of the the weekend, presented me with all her papers. Oh Lord! 
Yeah, she okay. basically said, well, she was getting more into the feminist, uh, feminist craft type stuff. And so she just said, I'm just going to give these to you. <laughs> Wow. And, and it's all dated now. I mean, you know, you look at it, but it's interesting as an artifact of the time. Yeah. Um, and so I basically would go through and I would tell like, because I would tell a story or, or mention a story and people didn't know anything about the story because I just assumed everybody read this stuff. <laughs> I had to stop. I mean, granted, it's as okay. So we had a very, in my opinion, awesome uh, text conversation recently, where you very succinctly said that you know, just in terms of the pagan subculture, whatever, it's just mm -hmm. de-evolved. Yeah. And so I have never been able, like, and this is not me talking shit on anyone. There's great people out there. However, I can never assume anyone knows what I'm referencing, even in terms of pagan history from five years ago. Yeah, it's not. There is no, and I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but there is no coven structure anymore. There's no training. People just like decide to start calling themselves a witch. And, you know, like, yeah, when there aren't options, you have to, I'm not against that, mm -hmm. but you should get to, this is part of why I'm so drawn to, uh, you know, the practice of modern Druidry is because mm -hmm. there is that emphasis on hey, yeah. scholarship, know the lore, know your history. And it's just bewildering to me when it's like, you can't even tell me what happened like 10 years ago. Like what, we don't have a long history in this country. Like the 70s, no. it's not that long ago. No, <laughs> I mean, you know, um, yeah. And I've, I've actually done, like I said, for, for some of the pagan studies conference, I've done histories going back to, you know we've had stuff going on in this country yeah. really to like that we can actually pinpoint to 1693. Mm -hmm. where you know where we know a group of german mystics come over because the 30-year war is going on and they come over yeah. and they settle in Ephrata, pennsylvania and they build right. an observatory and and they really are they're they're, they're german mystics but they are christian mm -hmm. but at that time that was their only framework yeah. And so I basically um you know have this timeline where I show all these ideas that come here that opened up things for us now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, Elizabeth, my wife, and um, for those that don't know, because I know you do, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, we've, um, you know, we, we've, we've done like tag team teaching on this and we did it at one conference and everybody wanted us to write a book so they could teach it in their religion classes. Um, we need and maybe it. we yeah. will one day, you know, we're, it's still on back burner. Um, cause, and part of it is we feel that we are the inheritors of cultural creatives. Yeah. People that came before us that were creative, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody like Gardner or Ross Nichols with, with Druidry created it whole hog. It right. doesn't matter. Yeah. They started something that was meaningful for people yeah. and that worked, you yeah. know. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting during, uh, uh, boy, I, I haven't got to finish. Let me go back to Celtic <laughs> yeah. Reconstruction. We'll yeah. never get through it. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, I'm giving these talks um, about 1983, Isaac Bonowitz <laughs> corners me at, at Judy Harrow's apartment in New York and wants me to help him create this idea of a Druid order. Uh -huh. 
and you know he hadn't didn't have the name and within a year i was at the um the summer solstice uh event that they did the big one that was the beginning of adf and um it it was long it was hot we were in the midst of the sun and um you know, I can respect what they were doing, but I told him, I said, it's one of the reasons why I, I left the Catholic Church and I left on good, you know, I left on good yeah. grounds. I mean, um, I, but I were said- Were they still using the binders back then? Huh? Were they still using the binders back then? Oh, yeah. Oh, so that's just- he, Well, well he, it was funny. There was this big circle and there was an altar in one end of it with Isaac yeah and silver twig or silver leaf for who was his second in command at the time standing behind it and just going like a catholic priest da, 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 da. and i was just like <laughs> and then he would say something in gaelic and the other person would translate it and somebody played a harp and oh, yeah. we just stood there yeah and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, I know that when Ian started uh, going into ADF, he did a lot of their ritual format and he really did evolve it quite a bit. He really, it's, it's hard to yeah. overstate. Like when I was speaking to him, I didn't want to fangirl too hard, but it is hard to overstate how much he contributed to that whole tradition. And oh, for did. those who, you know, have listened to my podcast a couple of times, we are talking about Arnry Fane, which is the Druid yeah. Fellowship that I'm still a part of. I'm just ADF, associated yeah. as a solitary. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no. no, as a matter of fact, when Ian, when he was back in, when we were together back in uh, Rhode Island, Mm -hmm. um we, quite a few things happened i mean we created a a, a group because he was in one one co uh, grove and Gweth and myself were in another and moira were in another and um what we we created a group called the providence random assembly and huh. what we did is we kind of brought paganism to to rhode island like okay. there were groups and people that were starting to get into it because we were like one of the only games in town our tradition yeah. And um, and we had already gone out and we had started at Rites of Spring. We met people from New England, et cetera, went to the Midwest um, and started meeting people all over the country. And one of the things we did is we started bringing people to Rhode Island. And so we brought in um, Selena Fox and her, her partner at the time, Jim Allen. We got a ton of people to come. Uh, we hosted like Robert Anton Wilson. Damn. And uh, which was an interesting uh, <laughs> two days hanging out with Bob Wilson <laughs> with R.A.W. Yes. So anyway, so after this thing with Isaac, so then I had been doing this talk that originally started out called Towards a Celtic Shamanism. Mm -hmm. And the reason I called it that was because back in 1980, I had um been at pan pagan 80 when Gwydion pendarwin mm. was going to do his fairy fairy um his um fairy shaman circle uh -huh. and basically it was it was based on his work of how to enter fairy mm. uh -huh. now he also lived in northern california out in the woods and could do you know could take his time to do it yeah. he had three hours wow um, so what they did was he had specially synthesized acid <laughs> and he 
had he paid, he interviewed 20 people. Gwen myself interviewed with him, but we decided we didn't want to do it. But we were going to, so we were his uh, his warders. So we basically um, like made sure everybody had water, that they weren't mm. sitting in the sun, you mm -hmm. know, that they were doing something dangerous. Like when one of the people, uh, tr quote, transformed into a dolphin and jumped into the lake <gasps> and we went after them, um, you know, but we had some good, uh, I, I had some good talks with him because of my background. Um, you know, and my uh, uh, in shamanism from yeah. from anthropology, and I mean it in its wider sense, not in and not even in the modern sense, because I did know Michael Harner. I did get to meet Michael Harner in '73, and I was introduced to him as the department shaman, and he didn't say anything. Uh. So you know, part of me is like, how much did you concoct? You know, right. I, I have problems with core shamanism. You know, I mean, I know some people get something out of it, but it's not shamanism. It's, 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 you know, to me, it's, you've got to go to the other world. You, it's a magical technology yeah. that works with the other world and brings things back, not for yourself, mm -hmm. but for other people. That's, that's you know? kind of something that I, I feel like is, for one, that's in my mind, at least the core definition of it. But people do, people have been getting better talking about like these fake shamanic schools, like, you know, you right. pay for a weekend for the title. The thing is though, like you can do, you can cultivate learning shamanic techniques, you know, and not necessarily. You know, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyhow, after, um, and so Gwitty and myself talked and one of the things I said to him was, I said, well, you know, we can do this without drugs. And he said, oh yeah. And we both agreed yeah. that it takes three days and three nights, which if you read the, the old stories of you sit on the she mound for three days and three nights and you fast or you're in a cave yeah. in the dark but you fast you've got somebody maybe guarding you to make sure you're not interfered with yeah and at three days the she will open you know so um you know we talked about that and um and so that so i decided since it was now in people's minds i would look at it and say well what are they quote shamanic elements in in among the Celts, yeah, because most Europeans have have pieces of it. You know, we in Northern Italy, there's some. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, the, the uh, witch trials in in the uh, you, you know the Middle Ages, all the stuff written down is pure shamanic stuff. You know, you know, you put the flying ointment on, mm -hmm. you go up the tunnel or the chimney, you fly to the Sabbath with your animal. Uh -huh. You dance with your power animal, you know, I mean, it's all this, this activity. So there's a lot in the, in the old documents. Sure. Um, so uh, anyhow, so, so I gave this talk and from that, a lot of people went back home and kept talking about it. And some of these people eventually codified what became Celtic reconstruction within the next five years. Got it. So, so like, um, and, and it was, and the, the term Celtic recon specifically was, was coined by, I think, Kim, Kim Lambert. And I believe she was, she was there with uh, Catherine Price and, and um, 
Sego Ramos, who used to be aid, um, who's written a book called Celtic Fire. And um, there were a few other people, and but they really codified it with, and along with, with um, my good friends, Erin Laurie, and at the time her husband, Gordon Cooper, mm. who were up in Seattle. And uh, they were co- calling me constantly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, saying, we're doing this. What do you think of this? And, uh, uh, and would run things by and, and, Sometimes I wouldn't tell them what I was doing because I wanted to see if we were coming to the same conclusions. Yeah. And sometimes we were, and sometimes you know we we differentiated. You know we we we, we you know we're different people. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know Aaron and Gordon set a lot of it together, and um, uh, and a lot of it was in the early um, bulletin boards on Genie, I think it was. Mm. Um, back in the 90s, early 90s. And now I couldn't get on because while I was using computers for my job, mm-hmm. every all our computers are proprietary because ah. I was, you know, because uh, I'm a private investigator in my normal life. <laughs> no kidding. And, um, you know, we had all these high level computers that did phenomenal things, but I couldn't go on some bulletin ah. board because there was a record of it somewhere. Yeah. You know, and uh, so, and I didn't get my own computer until almost the late 90s. So, so they were constantly saying, you've got to come on, Tog, because (laughs) um, I was in contact with a a druid in, well, he doesn't, he he later never really called himself a druid. Um, uh, A gent up in Canada who went by the the moniker of uh, Sean O'Twahill. And Sean had some really phenomenal um, uh, stuff that he was coming up with. And he, of course, spoke Irish, spoke Welsh, you know, he, he, he knew the languages, he went over, and he was Canadian. And Sean couldn't come into the United States, because I said, oh, wow. maybe we'll meet. And um, he couldn't come in because um, he was a, a gay activist. And so he was on a watch list. Wow. You know, as, as an enemy of, of the United <laughs> States or some such. I don't know. I We lost track. I, I lost track of him. Um, and uh, people were saying, oh, he's on here. And everything was wonderful. But Sean wow. could get touchy if you said the wrong thing. He would be like, you know, just, I'm out of here. And they were saying, you, you've got to come on and talk to him. <laughs> I, I said, well, I can write him a letter. I said, or give yeah, him a wow. <laughs> Um, but then from there, that's when Celtic Recon really took off. And there were a lot of groups. There was Henge of Keltria, there was Invos. So like the um, 90s. Yeah, yeah. And and some of them are still around. Sure. You know, it wasn't just the the Druid or Neo-Druidic groups like ADF and and Obad, which had been around for quite a while. I, as a matter of fact, it was around that time, I think Obad, Obad was in hiatus for a while mm-hmm. because I believe i think and i might get this wrong ross nichols who who was the one who really revived it from one of the old druidic orders hmm. um might have died and he had passed the info to philip cargom right okay. and philip hadn't really started it up yet but it might have been in the early 80s it might have been around the same time um yeah it was kind of interesting my friend gordon um became the uh um he was for a while, he was the, uh, the archdruid of uh, the ancient order of druids in America. 
wow. which had been around another one of these old heretic orders. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he, but he also went over and lived in Gerald Gardner's cottage because evidently the people in Obad uh, or Philip owned it. And um, so they let him live there and he was their archivist for a while. And he'd call me up at two in the morning, our time, because it wasn't that time in, in uh, Great Britain mm -hmm. and would say, I've got this letter here between Ross Nichols and Gerald Gardner, where Gardner is saying, well, I've got these four holidays and I don't know if I should use the Celtic holidays or the, the equinox and solstices. And Ross says, oh, let's just use all of them. <laughs> and so that's, that's how the will of the year happens. of why we have these eight holidays because, you know, in our system, for instance, the really, you know, we'll do stuff at the equinox and solstices, okay. but, you know, it's the four greater Sabbaths, what used to be called the greater Sabbaths, yeah. you know, of Imbolig and, uh, you know, Beltana and, and Sovin and, and Lunasa, yeah. you know, because because it's why they, the holidays duplicate each other. You know, you've got, you know, you've got a little bit of this one and a little bit of that one in the cross quarter. And it's like, okay, uh -huh. why has that happened? So, yeah, so that kind of is, and then they kind of took off and I kind of pulled out after a while be, of, of really talking to anybody about Celtic reconstruction because yeah. People were getting to be like, if it's not in a book, how can you do it? You know, <laughs> unverified personal gnosis. And I'm uh -huh. thinking to myself, you know, it's all unverified personal gnosis. Right. I said, point. Christianity is unverified personal gnosis. If this guy <laughs> was walking around in, in ancient Judea, yeah. you know, either snacking on mushrooms or hanging out in caves or was part of a sect of the scenes, you know, it, you know, it was his, his personal gnosis that started this, that thing, that train yeah. that took over and co-opted, you know, Western civilization for 2000 years. Exactly. You know, and so it's all un unverified, you know, and I guess, you know, so then somebody said, well, you know, well, per you know, well, verified is when more than one person gets it. And I said, well, I can see that. I said, but, you know, um, and so, so. You know, in my own experience, we use a lot of uh, different things. But, you know, I when I was doing the class, going back to that, mm -hmm. I was trying to get people to go to primary sources. Yeah. So, like, go to the old stories. If you can read them in Old Irish or in Old Welsh, read them that way. Because I find, and, you know, I can kind of read it but i have like the um you know the uh, dictionary of uh, the irish language which is about this big now it's mm -hmm. online but um i've got the original that looks like the oed the uh, oxford english dictionary so it's got these little pages that you need to look at with a magnifying glass and it's got all these words and <sighs> what they, where they were came from and they're, the what how they're defined in its different periods. And, so, and the words are, are defined different. You know, modern Irish um, has gone through, uh, become modern Irish from a lot of permutations, mm -hmm. you know. And to be honest, the people that we probably would really, um, uh, you know, have a, more of a headspace with 
probably didn't speak Old Irish because Old Irish comes in when Christianity comes in around, right. you know, around the fifth century. Okay. And before that, they, they're talking something that's called primitive Irish, mm -hmm. which is more like a, you know, some kind of proto-Celtic mm. language. And so, um, you know, and then of course, you know, Old Irish changes when the Normans comes in and we, uh, well, actually around the ninth, around the ninth century, we get Middle Irish and then we get early modern and modern. And then it's a mess after that yeah. because you've got, regional dialects, you know, from the four parts, you've got northern and southern dialects that are different. It's where we get the, um, the V sound and the silent sound with the MH. If you see MH in the middle of uh, Irish words, you know, and then of course, in 1945, the language got codified by the Christian brothers. So it's like, yeah, the first time I heard you say Sovin, when I just gotten around to calling it Samhain, I was just like, I give up. Like, I don't give up, but I'm just like, it's. And, it's and they're lot. equally, and they're equally, yeah. yeah. And and it's it could be if Sovin and because in one of them, and I'm going to forget if it's Northern or Southern, the MH in the center is silent. And when it's silent, you've got the wuh sound. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. And I checked it out with somebody finally, I, you know, because I started actually talking to people that were um, uh, Celtic scholars and linguistic people. So they, they said, yeah, there's a lot of, of sounds we can't make anymore. Yeah. We've, we've forgotten how to make them, wow. you know. You know, so I always get somebody that comes up, you know, we, we you know, do a talk on, on the augum. And somebody uh -huh. will go, oh, it's ohm. Well, in modern Irish, it's ohm. Yeah. But in old Irish, it's got a hard G, you know. You know, so Brigid is, for us, Brigid is, is, is you know, the goddess Bridget or Breed. Yeah, so I've heard all a, three of them. Yeah. And, and they're all correct. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, which, you know, it's pick and choose. You know, as we used to say, um, if you're in a group, make sure everybody, you know, has the same <laughs> dialect, the same lingua franca. We're all saying the yeah. same thing and we know what it means. I you know? just, you know, when I'm like not really sure how to pronounce something, I'll just try and see if I can translate what the title actually means and just say that. Yeah. Because it, I only caught wind that like Mononon is Wananon or something like not that long ago. And I'm like, I'm just going to say Lord of the Waves. Like he knows I'm talking to him. Like <laughs> I will just say what you are. Well, and, and really all the God names are titles. They're right. all titles. Right. They, so just break like them down. Yeah. And um, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm working. Uh, I've got a, a tome that I'm working with um, by, and uh, it's like six, 700 pages. And it's basically breakdowns of all the Indo-European languages and the Celts and Celtic names. Wow. And you can actually see where some of the names and how they, the God forms, so to speak, um, uh, you know, really are related somehow, you know, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing, you know, yeah. to see it. Now, one of the things we find also in Ireland too, is because, um, you know, it wasn't Romanized. Yeah, You know, the Romans didn't come and conquer it. And uh, as a matter of fact, Ian said this the other day, so I'm not going to repeat a lot of it. But mm. the things we have to remember is it wasn't in a vacuum. Right. Um, they did write stuff in Greek. 
because Greek was the trading language, because they used to go up to trade with the Irish. They used to get tin. The Roman Empire got tin from them. Huh. And the Phoenicians and, you know, several other, we, we're not sure. We're pretty sure the Phoenicians got there. Um, and, uh, but there were, the trading language was Greek. Okay. So that's what they would keep tablets of in Greek. Uh, there is up on the uh, Eastern coast so towards the North, there is a settlement that was actually an outpost where the Romans would come and trade with them. Mm -hmm. Now the Romans were scared uh, terribly of, <laughs> of, the, of the Irish. And it's why on the West coast of uh, Great Britain, there were all these forts because of, so that the barbarians across the way wouldn't attack them. Ah, okay. And, uh, but you know, for instance, at New Grange, when they've dug up, you know, in, in, at the front of the, um, the entranceway, we find Roman coins that were probably left as offerings. Gotcha. You know, I mean, we find Chinese silk, you know, I mean, yeah, they were trading. There's, there's trade. You know, and, 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 you know, and the Celts in general, you know, moved around. I mean, the fact that in Turkey, we have, you know, the Galatians that everybody knows from the Bible, Paul's letter to the Galatians. The Galatians are a group of Celts that settled in Turkey that were mercenaries. Wow. They were mercenary group, okay. you know. And so, so, you know, they're widespread. I mean, they got around. They were probably also some of the uh, um, Celtic um, mercenaries worked in Egypt. You know, it's like, you know, they, they get around. <laughs> so, so they didn't live in a bubble. And we see that with um, early Irish, um, you know, as Ian points out, before Patrick gets there, there are already Christians there. Patrick goes there because there are Christians there. There are people for him to minister to. Yeah. And it, it's just like, you know? it's one of those things that and, I don't have patience for anymore. Cause I'm like, I'm sorry, this, this priest is out here like beating people with his cane. No, like how's no, like, really? No. If you ever read the confessio, his, it was supposedly his words. It's mm -hmm. boring. It's about how I met with this King and how I did this service. I mean, there's no magic, no mysticism. And second, and as I always tell people when the snakes went Ireland, there were no snakes in Ireland. They never got there because they were the 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 island was cut off early enough after the ice age that no poisonous plants or animals made their way. Now there are snakes there today because they came over like god or snakes came over in ships. Mm -hmm. But there were no historically there are no in we archaeologically you know there's like no point poison oak and poison ivy there's no mistletoe in ireland interesting yeah. okay so mistletoe doesn't figure in you know everybody is like oh mistletoe yeah, druid. yeah yeah no it doesn't figure in we don't use mistletoe at all huh. um so so and and uh what happened is it took it ireland doesn't become really a, a christian country until the normans get there Right. Okay. And the Normans are given Ireland by the Pope hmm. because Celtic Christianity is in competition with Roman Christianity. <laughs> and, you know, it's basically convert or, you know, it's the Normans that come in and make everybody uh, convert, so to speak. You know, and right. that really it's not a conversion. It's that you're going to do it our way. Yes. And one of the, you know, one of the things that they had was this uh, crazed thing about the when, how to calculate Easter was one of the 
I feel like I remember something about that. Yeah. It's so, yeah. It's it's crazy. But to be honest, um, early, when Christianity is, is starting up, um, if it, if one of the councils, I don't know if it was Nicaea or one of the, um, there is an argument between Augustine, who becomes a saint, mm-hmm. and um, an Irish monk named Pelagius. Mm-hmm. And Pelagius basically wants to have a, a different take on Christianity, that the body is good, nature is good. Mm-hmm. You know, these things are good because in his mind, God created them. You know, right. the Christian God created them, so they, they have to be good. Whereas Augustine, it's like sin and it's evil and, you know, nature, right. and, you know. So it would have been a different, you know, tack if, if he had won that battle. Then again, it had... It, you know, it would have been a different tack if uh, in Gaul, Vercingetorix had um, defeated the Romans, you know, who basically, right. you know, he gets all the Celtic tribes united. And then, of course, when he's in, a, in what is essentially a fort or a town, but it's like a palisade, mm-hmm. um, you know, they get starved out by the Romans because he, he's waiting for the other tribes to come and they kind of blow him off. <laughs> Yeah, he did get you know, them a, a lot of their money, history. though. You know, it would have just changed history. You know, where the Celtic countries wouldn't have had to deal with, uh, you know, Roman domination. Yeah, so. I think about it often. <laughs> well, Sorry, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm digressing. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I, I love it. <laughs> no, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, but, you know, and, uh, you know, but, but that was the other thing. And the other part of Celtic recon, besides going to primary sources and trying to learn the language, you know, don't be a, a monoglot, you know, be a polyglot, learn, you know, even if you can't speak it, learn some part of it that you can read it or understand it. And, um, you know, and, and unlike a lot of people, I don't believe you need to learn a Celtic language to speak to Celtic gods, because they're gods. Gods are spirits. Spirits, language is a symbol system. They understand symbol systems. They, you know, it's like, you know, it's how we communicate with any spirit, you know, and uh, so, but the other thing was what I was trying to, it was to get people to use critical thinking. (laughs) I'm still trying. You know, (laughs) you know, I mean, and I'm not saying because, you know, you know, as I get older, you know, there are things that I realize that we've also kind of lost some of the romance of it, you know, the beauty of this stuff, you know, that should be, you know, not just, uh, you know, everybody wants to be scary. Mm -hmm. And there's enough scary stuff in the other world. It's so old. I'm so over it. it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, one of my expertises until I moved out to California was um, H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, no kidding. Because, well, I lived in Providence. I grew up. I, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to go to the bookstore um, and knew this old guy, Dick, who used to sell him books in the 30s. Dick was wow. ancient. <laughs> Dick would look at us when we'd say, so did you know H.P. Lovecraft? And he'd go, yeah, cold fish. <laughs> <laughs> you know but yeah but i was into lovecraft scholarship i used to get uh give tours of providence and uh you know take people around and uh i got to sit at all his um friends like his best friend frank belknap long i i sat at frank's feet and listened to him talk 
wow. you know, you know, and uh, literally I sat at his feet. There's no other place to sit, <laughs> uh, you know, and I got to meet, you know, and there were a lot of people that knew him that, you know, like Robert Block and Fritz Leiber and, um, you know, that, you know, and uh, that wrote to him so that I got to meet and actually talk one on one with. So, you know, so I had a very different view of what was happening when, you know, when everybody was running around freaking out about the Cthulhu cult. <laughs> uh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, so anyway. Yeah. So, but those were the two, those, that was the main thing. It was to get people to look at things and really, you know, you know, discern what's bullshit and what's not. I used to, back in the 80s and 90s, Celtic books would come out all the time because mm -hmm. it was the new thing. Right. And I, I, had a, I had probably about 30 people at one point, um, and, uh, which is a funny story on how I got 30 uh, students. I, wasn't, <laughs> I, I was doing this class called, uh, I was doing, there was a thing in, in the valley, in the San Fernando Valley called Seeker Circle. And the whole idea behind it was that instead of having people just find a group and get involved and then leave the group, yeah. to have them get introduced to different groups. Smart. And you would make a deal with yourself and the gods. It wasn't even the people running it. Yeah. That you would listen to three teachers and then, and then make idea. up your mind. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I, I, <laughs> I did a thing and... Uh, and somebody once finally told me and they said, oh, you really got us. You know, we all knew we were going to leave mm. at the end of your session. I said, yeah, you, you all, guys all landed up at my front door one or two at a time. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, the core group was about 12 people, but then we could have like big classes sure. or um, rituals up to 30. And um, uh, it was... I was talking about Celtic gods and I kept not talking about the Morty because <laughs> she's the, she's the matron of our, 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 our craft group. Yeah. And, uh, and everybody was waiting for me and, and this crow came down and they knew I was, and every time I would say something else, it would start making noise. And I was like, Oh God, <laughs> it's a stupid crow imitating me talking. Yeah. And I said, okay, I said, you guys want to talk about this? And I, I said, we'll talk about my favorite goddess, the Morgan. And when I did this, three crows flew over my head in formation. How much do you need? <laughs> I was like, and I said, I couldn't have, I, you know, so, it, and so, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, so I've got a whole bunch of, like, I've got non-initiates and initiates all over the place. Mm -hmm. You know, they never last. You know, some people stay for a while, but, you know, nobody ever gets through to, to get everything. So, uh, and, and part of it is like, you know, my last group, we, we broke up primarily because of the recession. Like oh, wow. everybody moved to different parts of either California or yeah. the country. You know, everybody needed, you know, find work and such. So you can't mm -hmm. blame people. But, um, but yeah, so, but on, uh, so I don't know what, what we're doing time-wise. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's any... probably going to cut us off any, any minute now. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, okay. Thank you so much for this. I will try and maybe snag you another time to talk more just about the Morgan and like modern practice and whatnot. Sure, that or um, or just on on some of the the magical stuff. Yeah, know. I would love to. Because I've done I've done a lot of a lot of my personal work for like you know going back, you know has been with uh you know has been with spirit. For sure. Whether you yeah, call them gods sure. or or you know she or you know, and um. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've had a spirit, I've had a Leon Chi, I've had a spirit spouse since, I, I'm trying to remember, like, probably, mm -hmm. like, in the 70s, but I didn't recognize it until the early 80s, but, you know, but then again, that's part of the shamanic complex, too. Right, so, yeah. You know, well, and, I, where so, can, um, can I direct people towards any of where can people find you or any of your work if you wish to be found? Well, any anything I've written is probably long out of print. It's been mm -hmm. ma it's magazines that were published back in the in the seventies and eighties. So we need the book. Yeah, I mean, I am working <laughs> on a book. Okay, I'm actually, I'm working on a couple of books. So okay, I'm working on on a, a, a sort of a primer and and uh, such. So. Yeah, because it's, I mean, I look to, basically, I look to you, Ian, and uh, there's an author, Luke Eastwood, who I also um, hmm. enjoy. And, you know, obviously, there's there's other good ones. I'm horrendous because I haven't gotten to Blood and Mistletoe yet. That's my sin. I haven't read Hutton. Um, it, uh, it's, it's, you know, I like yeah. Hutton, but to be honest, you know, to be honest, his expertise is yeah. Cromwellian England. Yeah, that's where He's, I'm like, mm. you know. Some, I mean, he does, you know, his, uh, you know, and, you know, without telling stories, I hope, um, you know, his drawing, his triumph of the moon works because he's a craft initiate, mm -hmm. as well as being a druid. So he's got some inside track. It's yeah. like when I'll, I'll, you know, you know, so he does have inside track. I'm hoping that's not. I think people know that, but he might deny it because I saw some thing where he's, you know, doing a thing on witchcraft and he's like, oh, I don't know any of this oh, stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. Who are you kidding at this point? At this point in the game, yeah. we're going to do this, yeah. whatever. You know who another person, if you can get hold of the book, uh, mm -hmm. that was and is an interesting read. He's got a different take on it, is um, uh, Alexia Kondrovtiv. No, and I'm, I've I'm heard of this it. guy. Yeah, he's basically uh, the Apple Branch was the name of the book. Yeah, and uh, Alexi passed away. I, I knew him when he, um, him and his uh, partner, uh, Blue Lotus Lenny. Um, as a matter of fact, Lenny helped me buy my buy a drum when I was in uh, um, in New York. Oh, that's so, great. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. Well, but anyway. I yeah, I will um, have your, you know, name for people to, I don't know, if I can find any of your stuff, I will link it in the show notes. You know, uh, and I mean, you know, if you want, you can post my email. I, okay. I, I will talk to people via email or via Facebook or whatever, you know, okay. they can messenger me. So That is very kind of you. I very much appreciate you and your time. I will uh, grab some well, more of it you. another day. Well, it's my oh. pleasure. Okay. <laughs> trying to make Drew a trigger right again. Thank you for listening to or watching that episode and or maybe both. Uh, I did want to share that although uh, Tog does not have much by way of 
his material on the internet. I think there's like one magazine article that I managed to find. He very graciously offered that uh, uh, people can correspond with him if they wish on Facebook or uh, via email at tog, T-A-G-H, at A-T-T dot net. Be on your best behavior. That should go without saying. Don't be weirdos. Be graceful. That is all I am going to say. Um, and of course, you can also look into the Pagan History Project on Facebook as well. As for me, uh, support of the shenanigans is very much appreciated via my Patreon, Outlaw Priestess, because... Uh, you know, shenanigating is a, is a lot of energy. So anyways, uh, now is that time where I tell you thank you so much again for listening. I appreciate you, but close your laptop, turn off your phone, stop looking at whatever screen you're on, and get outside, and go do some magic. doesn't matter if somebody like Gardner or Ross Nichols with, with Druid 